0: Father in heaven, we are so grateful for you and and for the sweet name of Jesus, Father, that uh, I pray in these next few moments and really through the rest of our lives, Father, that it would be a name we never take for granted, but one that we truly treasure and cherish. Father, that it would heal and restore and beckon us to, to unceasing worship like it has today, that we would commit our lives to you in joyful praise and celebration, Father, that all that That we bring before you be it in in terms of praise or request or supplication god we know that you hear and you respond because of this name that is above all names this name that is so sweet for us to hear the name that we celebrate today the name of jesus it's in that name father that we come that we gather and that we pray these things now guide us and lead us according to your glory for it's in jesus name we pray amen and amen well it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, we, we made it uh, through the, the crazy winter storm of this past week. Only in Texas can we just be a few days removed from snow and freezing sub-zero temperatures and now be looking at 60 and sunny. Uh, that just is kind of the Texas way, I guess. And, and hopefully uh, you were able to navigate through some of the challenges and difficulties that I know so many folks face, be it loss of power, loss of water, just lack of heat. And, and you were able to not only navigate it for yourselves, but help others in the process and and continue to support one another as the body of Christ is called to do. And so I would just tell you that if you're here today, again, either in person or online, and you are still navigating some of those challenges and you need help and assistance, please don't hesitate to let us know. That's that's part of what we want to do is to continue to support one another. April's announcement earlier is a great example. Uh, We know for some families, man, not having school the next couple days can be a challenge as opposed to a benefit. And so if you need child care from nine to two this next week, let us know. We, we can obviously help provide that. If there are other physical needs or felt needs, please don't hesitate uh, to reach out. And then also for us collectively as a church to figure out how we continue to support the community uh, as we, we all continue to recover from what was just a, a crazy week. Now, what might have been lost in the midst of the snow is that this past Wednesday, we started the season of Lent. And, and there's some irony in that because, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but you know what the word Lent means? It means springtime. Okay, so in the middle of snow falling on the ground and kids going out and sledding in our neighborhood, we were actually celebrating the start of spring. Uh, ironically, that's not really what Lent means anymore. Around the 11th century is, is where it really became kind of fixed to the Christian calendar and, and known more to, to celebrate the coming of Easter and the idea of it meaning springtime, that, that, that meaning was lost uh, around that time frame. And so we typically use the word Lent to refer to the season that leads up to Easter. It's the 40 days that kind of lead to the celebration of the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Comparable to Advent, right? In the same way we dedicate several weeks to the Christmas season to celebrate Christ's birth, we dedicate several weeks, 40 days, not counting the Sundays, to prepare our hearts and our minds for the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus. And so it's a very important season uh, for all followers in churches, in individuals, and in denominations, celebrated and infused meaning to it in a number of different ways. And, and one of the things that I would encourage you uh, that, that we try to emphasize here in our church is that when you enter into the season of Lent, we really want this to be a personal journey for you, right? Let me, let me remind you of the prayer that we often refer to here, the prayer of UBC, right? That, that the power of God would be unleashed in our lives, our church, our community, our world, so that every tongue, tribe, and nation can come to know and proclaim the saving work of Jesus Christ. Right? That, that's our prayer. And so if you break down the first part of that prayer, that, that God's power would be unleashed in our lives. And that's really kind of what I envision when you think about the season of Lent, that this would be a, a season where you truly begin to take a personal journey to cultivate your own relationship with Jesus, and you begin to really reflect upon and consider how he is working in your life, how he has worked in your life, how he will work in your life, right? That you continue to just understand the intimate relationship that we have with Jesus, and that, that this season of Lent would help you in that process. So, so one of the things that we do to aid in that is this devotional that you've heard referenced for the last several weeks and, and an opportunity. This is a daily devotional that we uh, initiated last year and we anticipate to have really kind of uh, for future years as well. And the devotional takes on a different focus each year. And, and this year, when we look at the 40 names of Jesus, my hope and the way I would encourage you to go through this devotional is, is to not just read it from a standpoint of of reflection or, or information, right? That when you read on day one, one of the names for Jesus is Savior, you don't walk away going, well that, that's interesting or that's a good reminder. But that you make it a very personal journey and you think to yourself, well how has Jesus saved me? Right? What has he saved me from specifically? How did he save me from previous heartache or temptation or grief or struggle? What what do I need to save me from today and truly rest in the fact that he is Savior? Right so each time you read about a name make it this personal journey so that you'd really cultivate your relationship with Christ and you grow in understanding how his power is at work in your life because where this is where this is ultimately leading at the end of the lenten season what we also anticipate is is coming together as a church and thinking okay now that I've really cultivated this relationship with Christ in a very intentional way where's he leading me what's he calling me to where, where am I to go? Where am I to serve? What do I need to commit my life to? Those are very important questions that we need to ask ourselves consistently and regularly. But when you get those questions asked of yourself or from others, we don't want to answer those off the cuff, right? You don't want to just kind of react to them. They, they should be questions that we answer that are bathed in prayer and reflection with a full awareness of who Jesus is and what he means to us. And, and that's the intent with this whole Lenten season, this whole journey. Here's what it's going to look like for us on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we're going to take a few of these names. It's, it's typically the one that you will read about on the Saturday before you come in, right? And, and we will take that particular name on Saturday and we'll discuss it here as a church on Sunday morning, we'll elaborate on it further. I think collectively we'll have at least eight different names we'll look at because I'm considering or counting Good Friday as well. And we'll have a chance to get a very holistic understanding of the names of Jesus, the titles of Jesus that help us get a greater picture of who he is and what he means to us. Now, this will have a different feel perhaps for, for you. I know it will for me. It's, it's more topical in nature. My preference typically and what I, I tend to do with sermon series is to pick a book or a section of scripture and work through it verse by verse. Um, and and this is not going to be that way. It's going to be more topical by looking at these names and taking a collection of verses each week, which I think will be a good variety of uh, for us. But but the hope is that through that process, we will have an opportunity to truly press in and understand more clearly who Jesus is to each and every one of us. So I'm excited to have the conversation. Uh, Here's where I want to start it, okay? Today is, is also not just an introduction to the first name that we're going to look at, but, but really the series as a whole. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus 19. This isn't our, our main text for the day, but it is going to be a passage that we refer to to help kind of set the tone for this whole series. Okay, so Exodus 19, obviously, if you're familiar with your Bibles at all, you know we're not about to read about Jesus. We're about to read about Moses. And this is occurring after Moses has led the people up out of Egypt. This is after the parting of the Red Sea, the burning bush, all those other familiar stories that you typically associate with Moses. Let me read to you the first eight verses of Exodus 19. It says, On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So here we are at Mount Sinai. You know, something very familiar that happens on this mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now you, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back down and summoned the elders of the people and set, them before, set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Now, there should be some, some parts of this verse that should be somewhat familiar to you, right? Part of what's happening here is, is God is reminding his people of the covenant and he's saying, I want you to keep this covenant if you do, and you follow these words, you will be a special treasure, right? A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, when we see that that covenant is ultimately fulfilled and accentuated in Jesus, we see the same language emerge in the New Testament, don't we? If you read through uh, letters like First Peter, you'll see the same call to the church that we are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? So we, as the church, still live into These promises that you see in Exodus 19, that if we follow the covenant with God, we are called to be a holy nation. How do we live that out? By following and keeping his words. And so here in Exodus 19, the people of Israel say, we we will do everything he says. And so what happens next, right? If you turn the page, it's very familiar. We get the Ten Commandments, right? Now, we're not going to walk through all ten commandments this morning. We don't have time for that. It does sound like it could be a worthwhile series maybe down the line in the future. I just want to call our attention to the third commandment for a moment. Right, so after God says, I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. After he says, you shall not make unto me a graven image. What is the third commandment? The way I learned it growing up is that you shall not use the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? Let's read how it is translated here in the NIV. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That's a pretty important command, and it's one that should still carry weight for us today, especially as we move into this series and we give consideration to the names of Jesus. Now, let me offer a word of clarification. Obviously, at this point in time, in this context, Moses was the one who God revealed his holy name to. Remember, if you go back to the burning bush, we read this as one of our devotionals this past week, right, where where Moses says, all right, I'm going to Pharaoh, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am, right? He reveals his sacred name, which most uh, scholars and, and people today would say that that was the revelation of the name Yahweh, right? So you take that moment, the sacred name of Yahweh, and you infuse it with, with the third commandment, and it became such a holy and sacred name, the people of God never even really uttered it, never even spoke it, because it was so sacred. In fact, we don't even really know if that's how it's pronounced. It's a guess, because we just don't even really know, because it was so sacred. So clearly, that's a huge part of what the third commandment is pointing to, right? And that's part of what Moses would have understood when, when first receiving these commands. But, but you move forward through God's plan of salvation and redemption, and he reveals himself through the person of Jesus. And we are given a name that we can speak, that we should speak, that we should be able to call upon. And it comes with so many additional titles and understanding, right? So now we can speak it, but I would tell you that the third commandment is absolutely still in play. That Though we can speak it and call upon it, we should never misuse it. And so I want us to, to move into this series with a greater understanding. What, what does that mean, right? What does it look like to misuse the name of the Lord our God, to misuse the name or names of Jesus? When I was younger and I first learned of the third commandment, I had a very simple understanding, which was profanity, right? So, so avoid any sort of profanity or cuss words that included the words God and Jesus, right? If, if I could do that, then I would adhere to the third commandment. That's a good rule of thumb. I would definitely encourage you to, to continue to follow that. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? Right? Taking the Lord's name in vain or misusing the name of the Lord is, is well beyond just profanity. When you look at the, the word misuse, another way to, to understand that definition is futility, right? Emptiness, that's, that's where we get the understanding of vain or the translation of vain. It's, it's falseness, right, anything that is false or misleading. It's, it's worthlessness, right, to make a name worthless. And, and so basically part of what the third commandment is saying is that if there's any, any thoughtlessness that is attributed to this name, it is a, it is a misuse. You're making it empty. So, so let's elaborate upon that for a moment, shall we? Right, when, when we go through life and we attach a level of falseness to the name or names of Jesus, Right? When, when we say things that Jesus did or didn't do right, that are misleading or deceitful or wrong, when we assume that Jesus was just a moral teacher or philosophy, a philosopher, right, we, we misuse his name. Right? When, we, when we empty it of its meaning because we become so casual in the way that we reference it, we become irreverent in our understanding of of it, And we begin to interpret the words that Jesus said as mere suggestions that we can study rather than life-giving commands that we follow. We misuse the name and names of Jesus because we rob them of their worth, right? When, when we just don't even think about it and we become apathetic and indifferent to what that name means, we take it for granted. We're thoughtless on it. We misuse the name of Jesus. And so the the call to all of us as we enter into this series is to to adhere to the very words that God instructed his people to follow from the very beginning of this covenant, right? To, To look at the name and names of Jesus that he has gifted to us and hold them in the highest regard and the highest esteem and let them heal and restore as they are designed to do. Let them to be the object of our worship and our affection, right? So that's That's the goal of this series. Here's where we'll begin today. We're gonna start with the obvious. We're gonna start with the name Jesus, okay? Now, we talked a little bit about the name of Jesus in Advent. If you were with us at all during the Advent series, we were going through a series that was focused on the promise that God is with us. If you remember that, and we looked at all these different sections of scripture that kind of revealed and brought that promise to life, and one of the ones we looked at was the story of Mary and Joseph, right? Very appropriate for Christmas time. And as we looked at that story, there were several things we talked about on that particular Sunday. But at one point, we we dove into this moment where the angel is explaining to Joseph why he should take Mary as his wife and explain the the miraculous nature of this birth and this conception. And in the midst of that dialogue between Joseph and the angel, what does the angel say? You should give him the name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. So we talked a little bit about that in December, right? We, we, We broke some things down. Let me just remind you of a few things that we talked about. The first thing that we talked about was that the name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Okay, so the Hebrew name Yeshua is the common name Joshua, right? And, and it simply means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. Okay, so it's a good, strong name. And, and it makes sense then that that was part of the translation or the interpretation that the angel was offering to Joseph. He is going to save his people from their sins. Now, what you see develop over time is that the expectation of this Messiah was that the salvation that the people of God were looking for was political, was economic, was was perhaps going to involve military conquest to set them free from Roman tyranny and Roman rule. Right? And so that's what they were expecting. And so what was very revelatory about what the angel said to Joseph was that the salvation that God was giving through the name Jesus was from sin. Right? It was much more comprehensive than anything they had really considered. So we took time on that particular Sunday to think about the, the magnitude of that, the significance of it. We talked about all the different ways that, that we're impacted by sin. We referenced three different categories. Right, the, the idea of feeling the weight of sin through just the brokenness of creation. Right? When we experience natural disasters and tragedies that are just part of living in a broken world. We talked about how we feel the weight of sin when we're the victims of the sinfulness of others, right? When we are the objects of somebody else's hostility or aggression or gossip or greed or oppression, whatever it is, and how we're wronged by the sin of others. Talks talked about our own mistakes, our own shortcomings, our own failures, and we took time that Sunday morning just to sit under the weight of sin and then to rest and celebrate the fact that Jesus saves us from all of it and how remarkable that really is. And so I want us to, to, to pull that back into mind, what we discussed in December, and kind of infuse that for a moment with what we just read in Exodus, right? The, the moment that we attach a falseness to what Jesus has saved us from, maybe we doubt his saving work or we question his saving work or we, we deny the cross and all that it means, then we are using the name of Jesus in vain. We're misusing it, right? When we empty, its, empty it of its worth, and, and we take his saving work for granted, right? And we minimalize it, and we, we disregard it, and we, we often don't even consider it. We're thoughtless about it. We misuse the name of Jesus. So what I would encourage each of you to do today and in the upcoming days and throughout this season, think intently of how Jesus has saved you and what that name really means to you, how important that name really is. Right, so we need to take that into consideration. But I want to go further than that this morning. Right, we've, we've talked about that a little bit in December. We, we've kind of set the tone here this morning. But I, I want to go further in our uh, efforts to understand the name of Jesus. Because when you just look at how the name of Jesus is defined, you're really only doing one half of the, of the process, one half of the equation in my, in my book. right? It, it, essentially, what we need to do is not just see how the meaning of the name influenced our understanding of the man, we need to see how the man gave meaning to the name. You see what I mean by that? right? We, we do this in life. Let, let's step back for a moment to get some examples to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, a lot of times we, we do exactly what you saw in the children's message. right? We, we choose names because of their meaning. right? And, and so you'll go find a name. You're like, oh, I like the way that means, the way that one means, and so we'll go ahead and assign those names. But a lot of times what will happen is that History or pop culture will grab a hold of a name and infuse a whole another level of meaning to that particular name, and, and make it one that's either popular or or forsaken. Right. So, so let me give you an example. When when Jennifer and I were expectant parents for the first time, uh, James was born in 2010, and we were going through the process that all first time parents go through, trying to figure out how were we were going to pick a name. Was it going to be a family name? Is it going to be a different name? We we did all the things that you typically do: got online and researched websites and what were some of the popular names at the time. And when you do that, you'll see on these websites that they'll give you a list. Here are the most popular names from last year and this year, right? And you kind of go through and you look at all those. And so in 2010, you know what two of the most popular boy names were? Jacob and Edward. You anybody you might know why those two names were popular, right? It was nothing to do with what those names meant because you know what was popular in 2010? The Twilight series. Right? Between 2008 and 2012, we were bombarded with the Twilight Saga movies being revealed over and over again. Movies I've never seen, books I've never read, but all I know is that it's some kind of weird love triangle between a girl and a vampire and a werewolf, right? And the two leading male characters' names were Jacob and Edward. And so all these young moms out there are like, that's what I'm going to name my baby, you know? And so that, that added meaning those names now the opposite can happen too right not just something that's popular and well-liked but the opposite can happen right speaking of werewolves uh, another cool meaning for a name is noble wolf right like if you were just going to lay out meanings of names in front of me without telling me what they were and that was one of the options that one would intrigue me I'd be like oh that's kind of interesting what is that and yet none of us choose the name adolf for obvious reasons right? History got a hold of that name. And that man and the way he lived gave it a whole new meaning. Think about the word praised. That's a good meaning. That would be one that would maybe capture your attention. That's a good thing. Talks about blessing. And yet none of us choose the name Judas because the life of the man added meaning to the name. So it is with Jesus. It's not enough for us just to come in here and say, well, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, that it's Yeshua in the Hebrew, right? We need to look at the man and see the way that he lived his life and all that was accomplished through him and how that elevated and enriched the name itself. Now, we don't have time to do all of that today, but that's, again, part of the intent of this series and this devotional. Let's at least quickly look at a portion of Scripture that provides a decent summary for us to consider this morning. Now let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Now, the, the church in Philippi is one of my favorite churches. Uh, it, it's a very interesting city. It was a city that was a, a colony of Rome and actually enjoyed an elevated status when co- compared to other Roman colonies. It was a very influential city, and the citizens in Philippi basically could do almost everything that Roman citizens could do. They, they could buy and sell property, they were exempt from certain taxes, they, they were protected under Roman law, and so as a result of this elevated status in in Philippi, the the Philippians were very proud, right? They were, were like, proud to be Philippians. They were, like, ancient Texans, okay? You know, we're proud to be Texans, at least we were before last week. Uh, Last week, I think, kind of damaged the Texas ego a little bit, but prior to that, you know, there's just this this pride. That's, That's what it was like for Philippians, okay? Now, what's interesting about that, though, is that in this letter that Paul writes to this influential city, it's 104 verses, right, from beginning to end, 104 verses, 51 of those, he references the name Jesus or Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus Christ, right, something along those lines. And so part of what Paul is arguing and advocating for, both directly and indirectly, is that church in Philippi, your identity is not based in your culture, your heritage, or your elevated status Of being a philippian your identity is through the name of jesus and the man of jesus and so embedded right there in the middle of this letter is this eloquent hymn that describes jesus it's known as the christ hymn in chapter two it's rich with meaning to to try to give 10 minutes time to it today is like an incredible disservice to all that it really captures and conveys but we're going to do our best. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're just going to read verses 5 through eight first, and then I'll close with verses 9 through 11. And this will help give us a picture, not just the meaning of the name, but how the man added meaning to the name itself. Let's pick up in verse 5 as Paul kind of introduces this hymn. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And now here's the description who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's stop there for a moment. Right, so, so here in just those few short verses, we have such a succinct and powerful description of who Jesus was. Right? And, and so let me just quickly highlight a few of those things that Paul says. He starts by saying, who being very nature, God. And from the very onset of us thinking about the name Jesus, we have a reminder that Jesus carries the nature of God himself. Right? That is incredibly significant. That, that is John 1 all over again. Right, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. It's Hebrews 1. right? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but now he's spoken to us through his son, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. It's Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You cannot escape the fact that Jesus was fully divine. That name Encompasses the divinity of our Creator. As incredibly significant, right? The very nature of God, and yet He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's a very interesting way to say it. The the translation of the NIV says He didn't consider equality with God to be something He could use to His own advantage. Right? That word "grasped" or "seized" used to your own advantage is really interesting. It's the picture it creates for me in my mind is that Jesus is the opposite of Adam. Right? Now now Adam didn't carry the nature of God like Jesus, just the image of God. Right? And yet what deception lured him astray? You will be like God. It was a temptation towards the equality with God. And what did Adam want? He wanted to seize it for his own advantage. That's exactly, he wanted to rise to that status. So he he seized it when he took the fruit. And it, it was the sin that changed everything. And so Jesus does the opposite. Though he actually carries the nature of God, he refuses to seize it for his own advantage. It is the opposite of what Adam did. And so it, it carries on with this incre- incredibly eloquent description of humility, right? That that as a result, that what he did, rather than trying to gain this equality with God, he actually emptied himself. He made himself nothing, right, by taking on the nature of a servant. Now, the word taking there doesn't mean an exchange. It's not that that Jesus set aside the nature of God and and only became a servant, because you can't cease to be God. He, He maintained the nature of God, but he added to it this nature of servant, thereby revealing who our God really is. The God who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. right? He was was one who took on human likeness. And so now what we see is the, the fullness of this picture that's so remarkable is that Jesus was not just fully God, not just carrying his nature fully divine, but he was fully human. This is Colossians 2, the fullness of the deity in bodily form. You cannot deny and and, and try to stand on biblical, sound biblical doctrine and teaching. You cannot deny either the divinity or the humanity of Jesus. Fully divine, fully man. Which means that being made in human likeness, he fully understands the human dilemma. He understands pain. He understands sorrow. He understands temptation. He understands brokenness. Everything that you and I experience, he experienced and understands as well took on human likeness and he humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The name Jesus becomes the perfect picture of humility and obedience. What an incredible man who infuses rich, significant meaning to this name that we should cherish and hold so dear. Let me offer a quote that that gives a great summary of these these verses that I want to read to you this morning. I love the way <clears throat> this reads. It's from one of the commentaries I read and forgot to write down the author, but I'll try to figure that out if you want to know. He says this, he says, this hymn also articulately describes who God really is. That for Jesus Christ, who shared the very nature of God and acted out of that nature, showed by what he chose to do and by what he in fact did, that God's true nature is not characterized by seizing, grasping, or attaining, but rather by sharing, by open-handed giving, and by pouring oneself out for others in order to enrich them. I love this part. It was never the intent of Christ to fight for his own honor and right and credit, but through self-surrender, self-renunciation, and self-sacrifice to strive for the honor, right, and credit of others. What if we did the same, right? If this is the name we follow, the name we affiliate ourselves with, is this not the model that we should commit our lives to? What would it look like if you never fought for your own honor, right, and credit, but chose a life of self-surrender, self renunciation and self-sacrifice to strive for the honor and right and credit of others? how would your life change? What could the church really accomplish if we all lived accordingly? That's what the name of Jesus beckons us to do. When we really take it seriously and think, well, how does it work its power out in our lives? Those are the sorts of questions we ask. It's an incredible description of the man. Let me close with just calling our attention to verses 9, 10, and 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, a a quick disclaimer about what's embedded in those verses when you read that every knee shall bow and every tongue Confess. This is not some reference to universal salvation, right? That that, surprise, everyone gets to heaven. That's not really what's being said here. But what is being said here is that there's going to come a day that no matter what you make of this name in this life, it will be seen for what it truly is. That, That every knee will bow in worship. Every tongue confess adoration and allegiance to see Jesus as Lord. And that worship and that confession will come either by joyful faith or reluctant submission. So what will it be for you? What will it be for us? Right, so, so part of it is just to see that there is this, this inevitable lordship that will be known by all creatures, by all people, right? Now, the other thing that I think is so beautiful about the progression of this hymn that I want to call your attention to is that verses six through eight take us through the humility of Jesus. Verses nine through 11 take us through the exaltation of of Jesus. And so what that that says to us is that this again proves as an example and a model of the hope that we cling to, right? That in the same way that Jesus went from humiliating brutal death, it ultimately had all these things restored to him and then much more in glorification. And so you and I will also go through a journey of humility and sacrifice where things will be restored as we are glorified in Christ, right? And so as a result, we should never grow weary in choosing humility. We should never grow weary in choosing obedience in this life because we know where it leads. We follow Christ's example and the hope that he has put on display for us. The victory that we see in Jesus and his exaltation is the same victory that's extended to you and to me. What an incredible name to behold. And that's really where I want us to end, right? Is, is that ultimately what we see here in verses nine through 11 is that, that Paul is encouraging the church and Philippi and us today to recognize that this name is not some ordinary name. It is the name above all names. There is none greater. What, what Philippians 2 says, six through 11 is doing is almost pulling back the curtain on on that day when God brings his kingdom in its fullness right It, it brings us back into that picture that's painted in revelation where we see every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth gathering to his throne and declaring worthy is the lamb who was slain it causes all of us to cast our minds to calvary Right, to think of what was done for us through Jesus Christ, through, through the empty tomb, through the ascension, through the glorification of Jesus, and to see that Jesus, that name, should be the center of our affection. It should be the object of our worship each and every day. It is a privilege for that name to fall on our ears. It is a responsibility for that name to be on our lips. You and I can truly declare the praise of Jesus each and every day, seeing it for all that it means and all that that design, is designed to provide you and to me and to the rest of the world. What an incredible opportunity for us to worship the name that is above all names. Not just on Sunday morning, but when you leave When you wake up tomorrow, when you go through a storm and you've lost power, or you're dealing with heartache, dealing with loneliness, dealing with grief, dealing with temptation, whenever you feel that void and that emptiness that beckons you here, once again you would know what the sweet sound of the name of Jesus really means, how it heals, how it restores. And it should forever be the center and object of our worship. Because it is the name that is above all names. And he is worthy of all praise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I confess that too often our words fall short. Even more so, Father, our lives fall short of what your name truly means, the commitment that it deserves, the adoration that we should bring to you, Father. So forgive us for the many times in life that we either intentionally or unintentionally misuse this name that you have entrusted to us by either growing apathetic and taking it for granted or not understanding the fullness of the truth that is attached to it of emptying it of its worth. Father, all those moments that we fail to recognize it for what it is, Father, forgive us. But in this moment, in this day, God, help us to see everything that Jesus has accomplished for us. Help us to see the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the one who reigns over all. Help us to understand the fullness of of the deity that existed in bodily form. Help us to gaze upon his humility, his obedience, the way he emptied himself and served others. Help us to see and look up into the heavens to see him seated on your throne, highly exalted. Father, even now help our knees to bow and our tongues confess that Jesus is Lord, we love you, Father. You are the center of our worship and our affection now and forevermore. In Jesus' sacred, beautiful, and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.